This is the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Marks with a draw chance for the right circle. They score. Puck thrown to the net by Anthony Beauvillier off a nice setup by Quinn Hughes. Middle of the ice. Beauvillier's got his second of the night. Mark Olsen tried to lay a hand on March when it comes into the slot. Shot. They score. Niels Lundqvist beats Thatcher Demko from the high slot, and the Stars have tied the game at four. With the instant reaction from the players and coaches. On the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks win. Somehow, some way, five goals, 5-4 victory over the Dallas Stars in overtime. A game that had a bit of everything. Well, at least a lot of chances for the Dallas Stars. Thatcher Demko making just enough saves to help the Canucks win in his first game back after missing 35 games. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. And, you know, Bick, before we bring Randeep into the discussion, a lengthy review took about five minutes to figure it out. And I'm not quite sure what's defined as controller or not, but if it takes you that long, you probably should stick with the call on the ice, and at least they did that. Sure. Uh, I'm struggling to understand how that decision was made because I feel like we've seen that reversed. It's kind of like the football, like what's a catch? Sure. You know, process of the catch. Like it's, it's... I, I personally would love to see that be a goal all the time. Yeah, I wonder because it was in one motion, stop, and then he takes it. Is that considered a stop? To get possession? Is that actually possession? I, I think like, intellectually, as hockey fans, all right. of us could say, yeah, he knows what he's doing. Let that be a goal. Right. I just don't know if it's always enforced that way. Yes. But nevertheless, Canucks get two points because of the decision, whether it was inconclusive or not. They put a stoppage to their discussion of it <laughs> and say, let's just go with the play and rule it as if he has possession. I think he's got possession. I just don't know if it's always ruled that way. Yeah. Well, let's bring in, bring Randip into Randip into the discussion. And, you know, that's one of the ones where it was a real nice test to see how the officials are going to deem this one because it could have gone either way, Randip. Like, I looked at it and I'm like, I, like Bick mentioned, I thought he technically had possession, but was it all in one motion? Like, what did you think of that play? Yeah, no, I was. I always thought it was going to be called back. To be quite honest with you, just because mm-hmm. when you look at it in that slow mo re- replay as well, it it does look like okay, this is blatantly, you know, kind of two different plays altogether. But what is possession? What is in control? And you know, at this point, you got to remember that it was called a goal on the ice. So if it is kind of fifty fifty, if they can't necessarily see something clearly, you're going to call it what it was on the ice. I don't mind it. I thought it was a heck of a play by Bavillier. Uh, but overall, guys, offside review. With every tweak of the rule, with every conversation, nobody really knows what this thing is. So I'm I'm just as confused as you are, but it was deemed in control, in possession, and therefore uh, Toronto makes that final call. So, Randeep, um, how did they score five goals tonight? It was... Uh, you, know what? It, it, you know, we say opportunistic. Oh, yeah. This was like opportunistic times three. Like, they just <laughs> found the right moments. And, you know, it's the power of a good goaltender, right? What have we talked about? The Canucks not having this year was, sure, their defensive game has been a mess. Uh, There's no question about that, especially the middle of the ice. But good goaltending gives you confidence. 
good goaltending gives you the ability to say, hey, we're not playing our best, but when we get that opportunity, we're going to make it count. And that's what Thatcher Demko did last season. This year, you know, he wasn't able to do that earlier on in the year. And he looked so quick. He looked like his reactions were on point. He looked like the Thatcher Demko of last year. And it's that's what that's what a, a good goaltender can do to you. He can he can give you confidence. And guys, I don't know how they scored four goal or sorry five goals. <laughs> if you look at that that situation of uh, I, to me, it's just he's giving them confidence. And when those opportunities came up, they took advantage. No, they they certainly did. Now I did want to focus in on. I mean, Thatcher Demko. Hey, you let in four goals, but I thought he was uh, as good as you can possibly expect for a guy who's missed thirty five games. And you know, Elias Patterson and Kuzmenko in that line, Pavilia, they did their thing, but. I wanted to spend a moment on Quinn Hughes. The man played, what, 25 minutes and almost 26 minutes this evening. He was positive on the shooting, uh, on the shot differential for a game. The Canucks were heavily outshot and outchanced. When he was on the ice, the Canucks generated more offense for than against. What do we say about the way Quinn Hughes played tonight? Because he seemed like he was a cut above all evening. Oh, totally. And you start looking, the stats say one thing, you know, three assists, impressive, but the way he got those assists, that stretch pass to Atu Ratu to, you know, and Pod Colson and Ratu do a great job of continuing that play, but that pass really begins it and, and has the Dallas Stars on their heels. The one after that where, you know, he makes a great move on Delandria by uh, on the left-hand side to create space and so Bavilli can find that soft area to score his second goal of the game. Offensively, he was dynamite. He was awesome. And you look at the six shots on goal. He was really active in this game. But that final play in overtime, it's, it, it's a play that maybe you don't notice, but to get possession off of Tyler Sagan. Mm-hmm. When we talk about toughness, when we talk about defending hard, you know, t- Quinn Hughes' name does not pop up. But that was a, an example of he takes the body, he knocks the puck off of Tyler Sagan, and eventually, you know, after about 30, 40 seconds, they end up scoring that goal, but they don't have possession of the puck. If, uh, if, you know, Quinn Hughes doesn't make that play. So to me, offensively dynamite, but you start looking at what he's able to do to get possession of the puck on the defensive side of things too. Just a, a very strong play to take the, the man off the puck and start offense from his own zone. You briefly mentioned it uh, earlier, Thatcher Demko looking a bit uh, more like the version I think we expected to see at the start of the season. I don't really recall him looking this fluid and, and this athletic to begin the year. Yeah, him going post-to-post, guys. How many times did we see that tonight? Yeah. There was a number of saves. Uh, I'm not going to lie. I think there was one opportunity before that one of those goals on the power play. I believe it was the Dadnov goal or maybe the one before that where he's going Bruce Lee splits between the crease, makes the right save first on the right-hand post and then moves over to the left hand. He looked fresh. He looked like he was ready to go. And that's what you want to see from a Thatcher Demko. Early on this year, clearly he was not himself and maybe he was dealing with coming back from that that offseason, uh, maybe there was something he was, you know, there was a nagging injury that was going on, whatever it may be. Tonight, he looked locked in, and I like two things. I like the side-to-side movement, which is something mm-hmm. that, you know, it really shows you that he's in a good way, but also he was challenging. Early on in this game, when Dallas, to their credit, you know, maybe they didn't look the greatest, but the fact is he was swallowing up rebounds. He was not letting anything out. Later on, as Dallas got a little bit more dangerous, uh, you, saw, you saw some of those rebounds pop out every now and then, but I, I thought early on, to get that confidence to to be you know at the top of the blue paint uh, that really set him up in a good way and then after that when they really broke down guys look at the high danger chances in this game yeah 18 to 3 for Dallas <laughs> that tells you how good Demko was and yeah. he allowed four goals but really imagine how many goals 
they would have allowed if he was not mm-hmm. playing to that level. Well, absolutely. Uh, I got one more here for me, Randeep. Anthony Bavillier, three-point performance from him, two goals. Now he has 11 points in 11 games as a Vancouver Canuck, including six goals. I mean, what do we make of the fit he's he's been so far playing with Patterson and Kuzmenko? Oh, he's he's been fitting, you know, perfectly. And I look at that one nothing goal where, you know, Pedersen hits him with the pass, but it's still a, a bouncing puck, right? And it's not sitting there for him. He's got to do some work. He's got to make sure that he's able to connect there. So that chemistry we're starting to see. He's putting in the work, too. This is a guy that, you know, puts in an effort defensively. Or is it 100%, you know, yeah, I think early on in his Canucks tenure, we were wondering, okay, where's the defense in his game? Is he sound? I think we're starting to see that when, you know, Pedersen is potentially maybe making a bit of a, a risky play on defensively, a good defensive play, but just generally playing that free safety role. Can some of these guys, most notably Bavillier, can they fill that void? And I think we've seen that a little bit more in the last few games. So I like the way that they played that Bavillier to Kuzmenko in overtime. You know, this is not only a guy that can rely on his own finishing, he can make a heck of a pass and into space and he sees a player just going straight you know making a beeline towards the net so I like the way that this line is playing and it does show you that you know you can you can swap players in and out in that role but Bavilia as of right now in the short term picking up points in the long term the Canucks have options with this guy he's young enough where if we're having this conversation down the road you can re-up him you can move him there's there's a lot of options and I, I think he's showing himself to be a player one thing to remember though in New York for the last couple of years, he was playing in a very defensively heavy system. You didn't maximize your points necessarily. As he comes to Vancouver, he's playing on top-line duties. It's obviously a wide-open team that's allowing, uh, you know, there's, what, eight combined goals uh, per game for this team. So there is offense to give in this lineup, and he's taking that opportunity right now playing with the, the best player on the team and one of the best players in the league in Elias Pettersson. Randy, great stuff on the call tonight. They took us to overtime, some extra time, and we'll see what they do on Thursday when they're back home against the Minnesota Wild. Cheers, boys. Have a good one. Uh, great stuff. That is Randy Janda calling the game alongside Brendan Bachelor. Canucks win 5-4 in Dallas over the Stars in overtime. Keep your, keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650. Uh, we'll read your text messages like this one here, Brandon and Poco. It seemed like Kuzmenko was drinking Diet Pepsi until the start of overtime. And then... That was it. He, he took care of it and added some real Pepsi in. All right. Uh, keep your thoughts coming in. We'll, we'll read more of your text messages. We'll take your phone calls, 604-280-0615. Keep breaking the game down, and we'll hear from Rick Tockett and Canucks players as the show rolls on on the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show. Join the discussion. Text us at 650-650 or call us at 604-280-0650. This is the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. fires it up the right wing for Beauvillier off the bench. Over the Dallas zone center to Frank Kuzmenko scores! Andre Kuzmenko gets the overtime winner. Mr. Clutch has done it again. The Canucks win in Dallas 5 to Canucks win 5-4 over the Stars in overtime. A lengthy review, but Kuzmenko's goal stands as the winner. Canucks defeat the Stars in Texas, and this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nazar. Keep your thoughts coming into our Dunbar Lumber text inbox 650-650. And uh, it was... A number of varied reactions to the Canucks winning it. This one says, way to go, boys. Another great win. Let's make the playoffs. One said, put that in Europe tank and smoke it. 
But others said, I got 99 problems and the tank life is one. That's Lloyd <laughs> texting in. And no! Is Gary from Garrison. Hashtag Tank Nation texting in. Uh, so varied emotions for a lot of fans after the Canucks beat the Dallas Stars in overtime pick. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, kind of the reaction that we've seen uh, repeatedly as these uh, games have come down to last-minute scrambles and points for the Canucks, whether it be one or two. There is also a game going on right now mm. that uh, will be of interest for draft lottery fans. It is between the Anaheim Ducks and the Chicago Blackhawks, and late in the second period, it is 2-2 between those two teams. So, All right. Uh, three-point game would be potential clutch. Potential for a three-point game. Would be clutch. In Con- Chicago. Connor and Saskatoon, genuinely upset at this team. <laughs> Uh, they give us nothing when it matters than something when it doesn't. When will it end? And uh, a lot of those, like Jay and Poco, it's so great this team is in a, such a great state they can ignore the need to draft Pedersen-level talents or generational talents in this year's draft. So that's kind of the vibe you're getting. But I'll say this, like Pardeep makes a point here in terms of deployment. and A lot of people are making this, and this is a thing that's a real valid criticism. It, it is. And it says, say what you want about Tockett, but he plays the impact players in the final minutes, unlike Bruce, who throw out random players like Lazar. And others are saying, maybe Tockett is playing guys too much as well. Yeah, there's a lot of text... KK and Van, uh, North Van texting in, uh, many others, just saying like Ratu and Kravstov were stable to the bench in the third. Where's the evaluation process they've talked about? It is going to be hard to evaluate a player when he plays four minutes and 22 seconds like Atu Ratu did. Kravstov got eight minutes and 53 seconds. What opportunity are you really giving those players to see what the extended training camp is the rest of the season. Yeah, and, and I agree with that. Now, I also I also don't think guys should just get ice time for the sake of it. But four minutes is a bit excessive. I agree with low. that. I agree with that. Now, don't play him at, at least get eight or nine minutes in at this point. Like, get him a few more shifts. He had, what, two shifts? One shift in the third? Did he even have a shift in the third? Uh, Bring that check. up in a second. Yeah. But, like, uh, he if he did, maybe one. I think he had one in the third. I remember seeing him, him out there once in the third, and that's pretty much all I saw from him. We're looking for Ratu here? Yeah. Uh, Atu Ratu had two shifts in the third Two. Period. There you go. No, just 100% more than I said, but still only only two shifts for Atu Ratu. Uh, Jay says, I guess management lied when they said they weren't doing major surgery. With the easy schedule coming up, I hope this fan base enjoys Van picking 10th overall. This is the one thing I will say, and, and uh, others say JT who, Ghost, and Lake Lack. Oh, my goodness. So the Canucks were heavily outplayed tonight, like heavily outplayed. Outshot, the, outchanced. You play this game nine times out of ten, you lose. They weren't better without JT tonight. They won the game, but they were not a better team. This was not a good hockey game by the Vancouver Canucks. We're going to hear from Rick Tockett. I'm sure he'll say the guys hung in and say some positives, but they Great were getting. Battle. Sure, but, I mean, look at the scoring chances. 18-3. High danger scoring shot attempts at five on five. 18 3. They had seven, sorry, they had 10 shots the last 40 minutes and, and overtime. The reason we're saying I can't believe the Canucks scored five goals, they didn't, they didn't generate nearly enough offense to score five goals. They had more shots in the first period than they did the rest of the game. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild how they found a way to win this game. The Canucks so far, whatever. And they also had two power plays in the first period. Just right. shows. So the Canucks have shut down Mikheyev for the season. They're, they're putting Miller on the shelf for a few weeks. Um, and maybe for the rest of the season. They slow play Demko's return as much as they possibly could. And for those saying, why is Demko playing? Demko wants to play. You can't force a guy not to play 
when he's healthy. You're not allowed to. They can file a grievance for that. So if a player is healthy and wants to play, you can't force him not to play. And Demko wants to play. You can manage his minutes and starts, which I think they should. I don't think he should be getting more than 10 more starts the rest of the, rest of the season, Bick. There are 22 games left. No more than 10. That's the way I look at it. I don't want him to get more than 10 starts maximum, right? But OEL is injured. They traded Horvat. They traded Stillman. Um, I mean, they're making future moves. Look at the infirmary. They had 11 guys out tonight that are regulars. I don't know how much else they can do in terms of letting this team quote-unquote tank. They're trying to make other trades. If they win games like this, what are you going to do? Like, honestly, there's nothing you can do if you win a game like this where you're heavily outplayed, you score five goals somehow, and still give up four and come away with two points. Like, I don't know what to tell you if you if you look at this and say, tank better. For, for a group that lauds process over results, a lot of focus on the results. Tanking, okay, this is a very important clarification. The idea of tanking is not guaranteeing results. It is Mm -hmm. a probability exercise that we are decreasing our opportunity at victory. That's not guaranteeing losses. It's Mm -hmm. trying to make organizational decisions that put out a weakened roster. That's all tanking is. You're not guaranteeing results in any way, shape, or form. And this idea, and I, oh, look, I was talking about this last Friday and people got all upset. They're like, oh, you don't understand the draft lottery. You, the, it's not about the best odds, about so you protect yourself from sliding back. Obviously, we, I know that. Obviously, we sit here and we know that. But you cannot accuse others of not intellectually knowing that without also acknowledging you know that players don't tank. So all you can do is roster, ice the, best, the, the worst roster. If they go out and win... What are you going to do? What are you going to yell about? Mm-hmm. The process of the decision-making has been as sound as you can possibly get. Yeah, They are jettisoning players away from this organization. They are banged up beyond belief. They are doing everything they possibly can. And if they still get results, that's just luck. That's all that is. This is a dice roll proposition. For sure. And this is like you getting mad that rolling the dice and the number you don't want comes up. Uh, for sure. I mean, that's exactly it. Stephen Vancouver says it's not true, Sad. The only obligation is to pay them and not to play them. Sure. But they have to activate a player when he's healthy. So he has to get activated. Yeah, you can carry three goalies and not play him. How is that going to go over with the player? Again, like you can't, when a guy wants to play, you don't see pe- people strong arm players who are healthy or getting healthy into not playing. And conditioning stints can only be two weeks, and a player has to agree to it when he's on a one-way deal. It's not, again, like, I get what people are saying, and, I, and I'm not against the notion, but it's not NHL 22, man. You can't just go in there and deactivate a guy and not play him. That's not how it works. Like, there are checks and balances. Do I agree that he shouldn't play a lot? Of, of course. I agree. I don't think he should play a lot of games the rest of the season. Uh, this one says, disagree. JT would have made a worse look at his plus minus. Come on. Absurd. If you think JT Miller would have made the Canucks worse tonight, I don't know what you're watching. JT's had a struggles. He's played better recently. He doesn't make a team worse that generated no offense tonight outside of scoring goals and gave up more scoring chances than they have when JT played the last 11 games. JT's two-way differential under Tockett has been net positive. He's played better under Tockett. Didn't he call him the best uh, two-way he, he forward they had today? He hasn't been perfect. He still makes mistakes. Of course, we criticize JT's play. No doubt about it. But if you watch this game, you really think JT would have made the team worse. You're lying to yourself. I'm sorry. You're lying to yourself. 
Uh, this one, uh, V in Surrey, uh, some hypotheticals, which we've been getting recently, which we appreciate in the inbox, 650-650. Uh, would you trade Bovillier for a second if a team came calling prior to the deadline? Bavillier? Yeah, at this stage, I, I might be willing to just ride it out. Just because uh, there's other issues that you think you I, I want to solve first. I agree in terms of you can slow play it and get more later. But if you can get the entire money off the books and you get a second round pick, I look at the asset and I look at the opportunity of having that money freed up, which would give the Canucks about $11 million in cap space for next season. And this is not considering guys... Um, being on IR, and this mm-hmm. is, you know, and if you have guys like um, Pullman and Pearson on LTIR, that also opens up even more money, potentially. But I think if you can get that money off your books and get a good asset like a second, I would do it now, because I think that would give you more opportunities this offseason. But to your point, he's played well enough that you can you can easily make the point that maybe he's even better next year, and you can even increase that value more by, by this time next season. The reason I would say wait is I'd rather solve other wingers before I get to Beauvillier. I'm working my way from the bottom of the depth chart upwards. And right now, as you tweeted out, Sat, Beauvillier is just higher on the depth chart than someone like Brock Besser. Probably even someone like Connor Garland, mm-hmm. who actually I thought had a pretty decent night tonight. But there's just other players I'd want to solve before I get to Beauvillier. Oh, I, I, don't, I don't disagree with that. The other point here, too, is so they've brought in – Mikheyev, Beauvillier, and Kuzmenko. And they've leapfrogged Besser and Garland like nothing. Like nothing. It took no time for those players to leapfrog those two guys. Those are the players that don't fit. Clearly those two. The question is, can you get those guys off the books? Or how how efficiently can you do that? And the thing I like is there's a profile. We've talked about that speed element. That profile just fits better with, I think, what they're trying to build and the style of play that they want overall as a team, and that profile does not suit the strengths of Brock Besser and Connor Garland. No, and and that's where it's so important. It's not just about talented players. It's about players that fit what you're trying to do and how they come in and you put it all together. Uh, a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. Fantastic as always. Keep your thoughts coming in. You can also grab a phone line, 604-280-0650 or toll-free, 1-888-275-0650. Let's go to the phone boards right now before we go to break and get to Rick Talkett. We have Bo in Burnaby. Uh, we just dropped Bo. You know what? Let's go to break. We're in here from Rick Talkett on the other side right here on the Home Your Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Back to more Canucks Central Post Game Show coverage. This is where you talk Canucks on the official home of the Canucks Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Canucks with a draw chance for the right circle. They score. Puck thrown to the net by Anthony Beauvillier off a nice setup by Quinn Hughes. Middle of the ice, Beauvillier's got his second of the night. And the Canucks are back out in front by two again. It's four to two. Canucks go on to win 5-4 over the Stars in Dallas. And this is the Canucks Central Post Game Show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. You can grab a phone line, 604-280-0650. And we are going to get to head coach Rick talking momentarily, Bick. But what's popping on the Dunbar Lumber text inbox, 650-650? Always appreciate the jokes for 60. This is a great one. Uh, From B in Fort St. John. Sit Kuzmenko for TRR, tank-related reasons. That's strong. Yeah, yeah That's he's strong. he's very.
very anti-tank, uh, uh, Andre Kuzmenko, and has been so far, especially through the last little bit of the season. Uh, we'll get to some more of your text messages. Richard says, the difference tonight is Riley Stillman is not playing. That's what Richard said. I'm making another joke. But again, like, I don't know what else the Canucks... Like, <laughs> they didn't play a good game. They didn't play a good game. They found a way to win this game. But they didn't play a strong hockey game. But how does the head coach feel about the game? We'll get to that coming up in just a moment's time. And we are going to hear from Canucks players after this game. But let's go to the coach right now, Rick Tockett, after the Canucks win 5-4 in overtime. I mean, it looks how he, how much work he put in. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. Um, just from afar, I was always a fan. I'm a bigger fan now. He played great tonight. You a little worried with the five-minute to review there in overtime that might get overturned? Yeah, I mean, we haven't had good luck on the uh, the reviews, so uh, yeah, it was nice to, to get that on our side. What did you think of uh, Kravtsov? I know he didn't get a lot of ice in the second with all the power plays, but... Uh... Yeah, a lot of guys in the second didn't get it some time because we had killed four power, uh, penalties. Uh, he was fine. We, you know, just a couple guys, um, three or four guys, puck management. we got to get pucks in deep, especially when we have people tired on the ice. I thought some guys were trying to force things, and it, uh, it hurt us. So uh, I went with three lines near the end. Does Manko enjoy scoring goals? That's one thing we know for sure. Yeah, he was a clutch guy. I mean, um, that's the thing. With a guy like him, you know, he was just okay tonight, and uh, but he comes up with a big goal. That's what big, you know, clutch players do. Uh, I know that they had a ton of high-danger chances. Did you guys get away from some of the stuff that made you successful on Saturday? Well, I just think, you know, we got... Some new, a lot of new guys here. So I, I thought the first period we, we held our own, and we were, we were, we were, and then obviously that's a good hockey, that's a great hockey team where they started pushing, and you know our puck management wasn't good. You know that we took, you know obviously four power plays, giving them the second really hurt us, but we didn't bend, and obviously Demko was great. Thank you. Uh, that is Rick Tockett. Uh, short media availability on the road in Dallas against the Stars. And yeah, and he, and he mentioned how Puck... Demko in performance by Murph there. Just yeah. Doing it all. <laughs> we got everything done. You know, standing in there. Uh, he's not wrong about the puck management stuff. Like, because we were talking about this too. The, the Patterson first... play that led to the. Um, the... Dry's goal? The, uh, it was the, no, the Patterson play, which led to the Datinov goal. Because it was right, that, yes. that was the first one, and then there was I think it was a game tying goal four four. Yeah, oh yeah, it was yeah it was a Datinov <laughs> goal, and it was the game tying goal, the fourth goal. Rupe Hints was it who tied the game? For? Yeah. yeah, it's also that goal that um, Bavilia had a chance to get a deep and didn't, and it led to two goals directly. And there's a few plays later in the third where the Canucks in the second half of that game had a real hard time getting the puck deep and even getting it past your own red line, really. Mm-hmm. Bovilli had a couple of plays where he doesn't get yeah. past uh, a guy uh, out at the neutral zone. But yeah, that was a big problem for them. Obviously, the pucks over glass plays as well, and they got away with one late in the game too with Myers. So puck management was definitely an issue, and that led to all these chances that we're talking about for the Dallas mm-hmm. Stars, who still put up four goals. Yes, they did. And it still wasn't enough because they probably should have had seven. Thatcher Demko did uh, Thatcher Demkoing things, 
and was able to turn away just enough for the Canucks to get two points tonight. Yeah, I mean, strong game from Thatcher Demko. We'll hear from him post-game as well as the show goes on. Uh, strong performance from him after missing 35 games here on the season. Uh, and we'll keep getting to your reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. I know there are questions about the trade the Canucks made earlier mm-hmm. today, trading Riley Stillman to the Buffalo Sabres in exchange for prospect Um Josh Bloom, who will break down, he's a forward winger prospect, who will break down coming up in a few minutes. And, and a lot of comments, too. Like, this one comes in from Bill and Red Deer on JT Miller. Miller didn't look right at the beginning of the year. Possibly possible he's been dealing with a nagging issue all year we haven't heard about. Well, you and I, on the postgame show quite a bit, have mu- have, have wondered about this throughout like the literally season. that game. It was literally going back to the Edmonton Oilers game. Everyone focused on, because Quinn Hughes got high stuck later on that play. Yeah, just when the puck goes around the yeah. boards, he gets high stuck. And the Oilers wind up scoring, and yeah. all the attention went to, well, how come that wasn't blown dead, and why wasn't that a penalty? But you watch that play, and, and I rewatched it uh, earlier today, just to reconfirm, and it's, it's just JT going to the corner, tries to move the puck, and you see him just kind of bend over, and he's grabbing something, whether it's core, whether it's arm. Or lower body, or, whatever it is. It's, you can see he's hunched over in some discomfort. And wincing, and struggles yeah. to get back into the middle of the ice, and then kind of semi-battles. And then yeah. there was a two-week stretch, obviously. He wasn't moving well. He wasn't moving very well at all. And it was highlighted time and time again. But you, on the post-game show, we had routinely said, hey, that Edmonton play looked a bit uh, ominous And now. he hasn't skated well since then. Now, And he looked so good in the start of that Edmonton yeah, game. Yeah. And then flying by, all over the place. by the end, he just didn't look yeah. right. And since then... So the team hasn't confirmed any of this, uh, and I know they usually don't confirm injuries and stuff like that and the depth of it until later in more of an official capacity, and we'll hear something. But it wouldn't shock me that we hear that he's had something that he's been dealing with, and I wouldn't even be surprised if it was something that he heard even before that that keeps getting re-aggravated, and it may have been re-aggravated again uh, in the last game uh, against the Boston Bruins. And given where the Canucks find themselves and the fact that he's now had a dozen games playing with Rick Tockett, there's no point of pushing through it. So I think it was one of those situations where the team just said, just take a few weeks off. We'll see what happens. Viking stats said, did I hear you sat say he could be done for the season? There's six weeks left in the season. Just under six weeks left so in the week season. So week to week is... If he's out for three weeks, at that point, it might get to a stage where it's like, let's just pack it in for the rest of the year. It's it's a chance. When you're talking week to week and there's six weeks left in the season, just the logic of it. It's a question of like what percentage. If, if he's 100%, then he probably comes back. And plays a couple of games, perhaps. If he's 95, 90, probably not. I, if I had to wager, and I don't think there's a certainty, but I still would wager on him not playing again this season. That, that would just be my bet, but based on how the season's going mm-hmm. and having a longer-term injury, why why rush back for a few games at the end of the season? 650, 650, and this is the complaint we're seeing a lot, and I think this one's totally valid, Dan and Brentwood. Problem I have isn't that the team is trying. Of course the players are trying to win. Why aren't they playing the younger guys? You can't guarantee losses, but... Playing the young guys as third and fourth liners, why not let them make mistakes when these games don't meet any don't mean anything? I'd rather the bad turnovers and defensive play lead to losses now and not yet next year. So that's fair to wonder why someone like Ratu is only getting out there for four minutes and Kravstov struggling uh, to get ice time at eight fifty three, um, and put Coles and I believe played eight fifty six tonight. Yeah, and he got a goal. Obviously, that's the thing is I, I would have liked to seen those players play a bit more. Now he did mention and Murph brought up. The second period was tough because mm-hmm. it was a lot of situational play with four penalties going against the Vancouver Canucks, two of them the delay of game penalty with the puck over the glass by Pedersen and Besser. So it suddenly became 
power plays and penalty kills and you had to kill off a bunch and they were killing them off too and so that's going to delay everything a bit more uh, for those players to try to get on the ice but still I couldn't have found more time in the first period for them um, I would have liked to seen Raw to try to play a bit more I, now he did kind of make a mistake on a goal he did uh, and it was a big he knows Lungfist goal it, it's a really small small play but you know, you know what I think that was more than anything the, the pace of the game ratcheted up mm-hmm. the, the Stars weren't skating in the first period at all at all like the Canucks were playing better out playing them out skating them and everything and the Stars picked it up towards the end of the first and then they started really getting after it in the second the pace picked up and I don't think Raw to could have kept kept up with the pace very well yeah and once he got caught on that play I think the Coach pretty much just pulled the shoot on him. Yeah, it's the, so he he had the play that we discussed earlier uh, on the Dadunov goal, where he's kind of puck watching on the transition chance, and Dadunov gets it maybe in an area where Ratu and Myers could have been better on that spot because they're in the middle of the ice. But later on in the game, before the Nils Lungfist goal, and the Canucks do wind up getting the puck out of the zone, but nevertheless, Ratu gets the puck in his own zone, and you see Tyler Sagan make up a lot of ground really fast on Ratu. And it just winds up having to spin it back and allows the Stars to reset and get five guys behind the puck. And so Burroughs goes to Quinn Hughes, out the zone, and it forces a turnover at the red line, back to puck management. Yes. And it's one of those plays Precisely. where Ratu, if he had a bit more speed, does he get ahead of Tyler Sagan, kind of stack him and able to put him on his hip and get out of the zone himself. And I imagine that would be the last shift he took. If I just bring up the yeah, I think, shift chart. Yeah. I believe that was the last shift he took throughout the rest of the game because they scored fairly early in that period. And, yeah, it, it absolutely was. And so after that, you could just see that this is where we talk about it's not that he's slow to make plays. It's that the speed doesn't allow him to make the best play possible. Mm-hmm. He's in the right spots and he knows how to read the game. You can clearly see that. That. Not necessarily top end speed because I do think he can get going, but it, it's but the he redirection ha- speed. Yeah, and well, that's the thing. It's more about the dynamic speed, short yeah. area burst, which you need. Like, can you get side to side quickly? Can you work your edges well enough? And can you, can you not get turn styled, even though you are a skate? You know, you're a forward. His skating needs significant improvement, and that's why I made the point earlier that I don't think we're looking at a have a one good summer and be good next year. I'm, I'm, I think we're no, looking at a guy. Process. It's like, a, I think he needs two off seasons to get to the pace he needs to get to. And maybe he plays well enough next year that towards the end of the year, he can come in and give you some, you know, games and be a recall option. And then with another good summer after next year, then we can look in two years time. All right. Now you have a player that can come in and fight for a spot, and maybe play for you every day. I don't think him playing right now is an indication of him being ready or the team thinking he's close. I think it's simply by virtue of, He's, we traded for this guy. He's a big part of our future. We want to make him comfortable. Let's give him a shot. Let's let him see what the NHL looks like. Let's work with him because we got this unique opportunity in a lost year for him to come and play games. But don't think at all because Ratu is here that he's being given anything next year. If anything, I think they're going to pencil him in for Abbotsford for next year. Yeah, and like the biomechanic part of this, all this is work on it in the offseason. Test all the improvements you did for the course of a season. Maybe there's a late run-up in the NHL Mm -hmm. later on in the year. Unless there's just significant improvement and he makes leaps and bounds in one offseason. But then to your point, as your body adjusts to it, spend another offseason now refining and get it to a stage that, hey, two years from now, two seasons from now, or a season Mm -hmm. played beyond that's when you'll really start to see the benefits of all the work you've put in. 
And now that you're familiar with the system, the overall organization, how we want to play, and we've built up the roster around you too, that's when we, we really get to see you flourish. Yeah, and, and that's the whole process until you get there with him. Uh, on the younger guys, though, I would say Vasily Podkolzin tonight. He's steadily shown some positives since coming up. Uh, his game is somewhat maturing. He has had that maturity in his game. Offensively, that's where it's been lacking this year. For his confidence, it was nice for him to not only make a nice move, but to score that goal. We'll see if that can give him a bit of more get-up in his game offensively the rest of the season. It's been the thing that Talkett has highlighted, right? Just mm-hmm. the confidence. And when he first came back up, you could see it, and maybe it waned a little bit here. I don't know if getting just shy of nine minutes is going to start continuing to building on the confidence, but scoring a goal certainly should help. I uh, wouldn't have mind seeing – again, I totally buy the complaints for people tonight of saying, like, how come he didn't get more ice time as well? Yeah, and I agree. Like, you shouldn't just be handing him ice time. But but I'm, we're not talking about playing 15 minutes. We're saying yeah. if he's playing under five minutes, at least give him enough to get the, nine the, or ten minutes in. The big problem for him tonight was the second period. Yeah. Is those penalties really kind of broke up the flow. He got six shifts in the first, seven in the third, and then just four in the in the second period. Well, usually what also happens is, and this is not me defending, but what happens is coaches, we heard other coaches mention this before. I remember Willie D mentioned this once and also Travis mentioned this once, that for guys who don't play a lot, if all of a sudden the game gets away from them, it's almost a disservice to throw them back out sure. there. They say like, hey. They're so cold. It's so cold. We're not going to get back into a normal rotation again. Sorry. That's just how the game goes, right? It's not an excuse. It's just how these things kind of happen. But I agree with Dan and Brentwood as well about what happened to process over results. Mm-hmm. And you might have to play your guys this much. That's a notion I do agree with. Bring the minutes down a little bit. You know, I think maybe they had some discipline tonight getting Quinn under 30 minutes, considering the amount of injuries on the back end and Ethan Bear not playing. But I'd still like to see that come down a little bit. So so that's the most valid criticism. I agree with with you as well. Don't give young guys ice time they don't deserve. But we don't need to be throwing these guys out there, you know, 27 minutes a game. And, you know, Elias Pettersson, you know, he played, what, 24 minutes again tonight. I know there was overtime. That's a lot of ice time. 650-650, Keefe texting in. Has anyone done analysis on if these goals Kuzmenko is scoring are sustainable? He's been amazing at tip-ins, but you got to think it's not at this high conversion percentage. Regardless, yep. love watching him play. That is 650-650 from Keefe texting in. So when Horvat was going on this amazing heater and scoring all those goals uh, via tip-ins, mm-hmm. and the more traditional tip-ins that we would see, like in the air, back-to-goal, and putting it in and, and getting a, a stick on puck and it ending up, I looked started looking into this. And year-to-year tip-in conversion rate, very volatile. Unless you're Joe Pavelski, it's hard to sustain a yes, certain level. it's very hard to sustain it. Now, the Canucks players have been among the best. Now, that's a function of how they've wanted to play offense. So as we yeah. talked about under Travis Green, a lot of point shots, a lot of players trying to be in right areas to try to get some. So players like Tanner Pearson... Brandon Sutter, Bo Horvat had had success at trying to sustain it. Obviously, Horvat spiked this year, having put in some good work on it during the offseason. The Kuzmenko one, he does, he's not always scoring the, tra- the traditional tip-ins. And how the NHL classifies deflections and tips, to me, is a little sketchy. Because those like backdoor tap-ins we've seen, some of those get labeled as tippins. Yeah, and I don't so I So say, it it is a bit hard of a calculation to make with Kuzmenko a little bit. So he's shooting 25%. Mhm. That's not sustainable. I, 
he might shoot at a super high per- percentage next year at like 16%, and that'll significantly impact his goal scoring. I, I wouldn't be surprised that next year we see a lower scoring rate from him. Like I think I think it's going to be hard for him to replicate the scoring rate from this year. That, however, doesn't mean he's not going to be a 25, maybe 30 goal mm-hmm. scorer next year over a full season. He may still hit 25, 30 goals. He might shoot the puck more. And if he does, that'll offset maybe some of the percentages coming down because you're getting more volume on, and eventually that'll go your way. But I I don't anticipate, Pick, that he's going to be shooting at about 25% or over 20% efficiency next year. And I would be very surprised, whatever the goal totals he ends up with this year, that he beats it next season. Like, this is... And I love him as a player. Like I, you and I both, you know, like the contract, and I like him as a player, and I totally understand betting on him. But I am fading him beating his goal total for next season, whatever it ends up being this year. Like his tip-in percentage, shooting percentage, is fifty percent. Yeah, and stuff like that. Yes, tip-ins can be very productive, but I think the number is probably closer to about eighteen to twenty-two percent. Yeah, I'd have to double check that, but I believe that's correct. Um, but he's got how the NHL classifies these again is what I kind of dispute. But he's listed as about twelve or thirteen, pending tonight's how it gets classified. Uh, tipping goals. Yeah. So I mean, he, he's great at doing it. So I mean, he may end up with like what thirty-five goals, mm-hmm. and then next year he might get thirty or twenty-nine or something, which is still really good. But, but again, it's just, some of these are just like backdoor open net tap-ins. Yeah. That sort of stuff is repeatable. Well, it is, and it, it is, and it and it isn't. How it gets defended yes. can totally change, but if it ends up on a stick... He's going to score. I'd expect him to score six that way yes. next year as well. Yeah, and one thing around the league this year, the backdoor play is prevalent in every game. Yeah. Is that something that we're going to see get... Our system's going to catch up to that a little bit, but we noticed this early this season. We're like, why are the Canucks give up backdoor plays? And you watch games around the league. It's, it's like, everywhere. It's everywhere. Everyone's giving up those backdoor plays. People Canucks, stop learning how to play defense. <laughs> they forgot how to play defense. No doubt about it. All right, we'll get to more of re- your reaction on the text inbox, and we'll break things down, and we'll get to the trade the Canucks made a bit earlier. But we mentioned Thatcher Demko. Big performance between the pipes for the Canucks tonight. Made his return after missing 35 games. Helped the Canucks win 5-4 in overtime. And here he is post game talking about what went his way this evening. Yeah, I mean, uh, pretty crazy day. Um, just leading up to it, you're just you know a little bit of nerves, a little bit of anxiety. You just uh, you know want to make sure that you're ready to go and hopping back in. And so yeah, it feels great um, getting the job done. Uh, it feels good being back with the guys. You know that's the most important thing. So um, you know hopefully just keep building my game. Obviously there's still some some rust. There's going to be some rust. So I uh, just keep working and. You know, try to, to keep getting better each game I play. It was a sequence in the second when you went hard from one post and then back to the other post. Or moments like that, you like, okay, I feel healthy. Yeah, I mean, I, I knew I was good to go coming into the game. Um, you know, I, I wanted to make sure that I I had that confidence in, in my body uh, before I was, you know, fully fully back in the lineup and playing a game. So um, there was definitely no hesitation uh, tonight. You mentioned the anxieties. Uh, when was the last time you kind of dealt with some of those before start? Oh, well, I mean, there's a little bit before yeah. every game, but uh, definitely heightened in a situation like this. Um, it kind of reminded me of, uh, you know, the bubble a little bit. Um, you know, I've been skating for the last probably month and um, just haven't played a game. It was similar to the, to the bubble situation. So just kind of leaned on that experience and... Definitely, uh, it took pretty much everything I've learned over my full career, both mentally and physically, to, to kind of get ready for this one. And, um, you know, the win is just, it's, it's great. 
Um, we heard a loud cheer when you came in after the one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. Just to, just to celebrate with teammates again. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, that's the hardest part of being out is, um, you know, just not being there for the guys. It feels like and. You know, you're you're working hard in the gym and rehab and you know, skating on the side, but uh, there's nothing like you know being around and um, you know those feelings. Even when you lose, you want to be there with your team and um, you know endure that together. And and uh, you know the wins are, are even better. Thanks, Thatcher. Uh, that is Thatcher Demko after backstopping the Canucks to victory tonight in Dallas against the Stars and said he had to lean on all of his experience to uh, get through this one here tonight and. You know, uh, he he did not look much worse for wear, and I would I would still say that I'm not convinced that we're gonna see peak Demko throughout the rest of his starts. But he looked a lot better and sharper than I anticipated he would in his first game back. I thought it was fantastic, and that play that they were referencing, um, how he made a fantastic save on the Pavelski wraparound, and then get to the other post as well to stop Miro Heiskinen, who was trying to create this goal mouth scramble. He, he was really special tonight. Mm -hmm. I imagine adrenaline played a big part of it. That's going to wear off, obviously, at some stage. Yes. And how does he respond then? But it was the version of Thatcher Demko that I think we all thought we'd see at the start of the year. Yeah. And it's also probably the version of Thatcher Demko that the management group has got big smiles about right now and saying, hey, if that's the guy we have next year, how quickly should we hit the accelerator on some stuff? Because if that's the type of goaltending we're going to get, and we have this type of D-man, and we have this type of forward, and we're hitting on a couple of these wingers, it's probably a big smile to say, hey, this is another thing kind of solved in our team build right now. I'm not suggesting they're going to start – you know, s sending out assets and try to build this defense immediately in one summer. But I imagine it's one of those things that says, hey, like, if we had a plan of threading the needle mm -hmm. of a rebuild, having our goalie solved is a big part of that, especially on a goalie on this contract for this timeline and that window. It, it might fall in line with what they thought when they took over the job. Yeah, and I know people texting in and wondering about what about Demko should trade Demko. The Canucks won't trade Demko unless they get overwhelming value, and that's always unlikely. Now, in terms of trades, and we keep people asking us, Matt in Toronto is asking us about the trade, others are asking us about the trade. What did you guys think of the Canucks trading Riley Stillman to the Buffalo Sabres in exchange for Josh Bloom, who is a wing prospect who was a third-round pick a couple of years ago and plays for the Sa for plays for Saginaw in the OHL, been a point per game player this year. Six foot two, has good speed, known as a smart hockey player. I can get in on the forecheck. Has a little bit of talent. Projected to be potentially a bottom six forward if he makes it to the National Hockey League. If all things go well in a couple of years, perhaps uh, he could come and play a couple of games. He has a shot to be something in your bottom six, or at the very least, organizational depth. So the Canucks not only got rid of. Riley Stillman's contract for next year at $1.35 in guaranteed money. They also open up a contract spot because Bloom is under 20 years old. He's still in the OHL, and his contract doesn't count to the contract limit. So not only do the Canucks get cap space for next year, they get a prospect in return. They also get slightly more roster flexibility. It's really hard to find any fault in this trade pick. For sure. Um, the thing I kind of like about it the most and I know you touched on this a lot as soon as the Dickinson trade happened, was there was a certain level of sense 
uh, of self-belief from from the Canucks to say, hey, we believe Stillman has value, mm-hmm. and if at when the time comes when we need to make another transaction, we'll recruit a certain level of value. I was largely skeptical. You know what? And I think most of the fan base, I would say all of the fan base, was united in the idea of mm-hmm. this is one that's a big L on the idea of the evaluation of Riley Stillman. And this is where having um, institutional knowledge about players in the NHL and knowing about guys' reputations matters. And clearly the Canucks knew something because when the trade happened, our initial re- – we were doing the last preseason game. Yep. The Canucks traded for Dickinson. And we were talking during intermission and we said, you know what? It looks like a salary dump trade, right? The Canucks and are- it still it is. is. The Canucks traded a second-round pick in Jason Dickinson to get rid of his contract and it took Riley Stillman back. And it seemed like the deal was you got to take Stillman's money back as well because um, because what we, were, what we were looking at was Dickinson owed $6 million in money. And if you were going to rid of rid of six million total money, it would be more than a second round pick. So the Canucks took back something else. So the sense we got was they took a contract back that if you want to buy him out because he's under twenty five, it can be one third. You can get out from under this contract really easily, and it's almost no cap hit for you, and it's a simple deal to make. And then I looked into the trade that evening and, and the next day, and I talked to some people, and I was a bit surprised that the reaction I got, and we mentioned this on air and talked about this extensively, that the team said, no, no, we didn't take Stillman because we wanted to take the money. Yeah, there's a component of we took a contract back, but we wanted Stillman back because A, we think he could be something, and B, if he's not, he has value, we can flip him. And we think that if things align for us, and I mentioned this on air, it's not making, like, we can go back and find it. We believe he can bring back maybe a third-round pick. Now, they didn't bring back a third-round pick, but they brought back a prospect who was a third-round pick two years ago, and he's still 19 years old. And here's the thing. Uh, I'm not going to go into the big, deep dive of what I think I know about Josh Bloom. Don't really know a whole lot. Yeah. But this organization, or at least this group, between Alvin and Rutherford and Clancy and everyone, that they've brought this Pittsburgh idea over here, and we're talking about them working with Abbotsford and developing some guys. There's been some good success Obviously, so far, and even tonight, hey, look who's on the scoreboard. Sheldon Dries, uh, uh, put Coles and gets on the board as well, right? Like the, some of the AA guys, Will Lannon, yeah, uh, producing some development happening in the AHL level, trying to build it into the mm-hmm. NHL. What was the thing that was lauded about Pittsburgh, right? Their ability to just find fourth, fifth, sixth rounders, inject them into the NHL, and they had success. And you go through it, like, who are some of those players? Tom. Kunakel, Brian Rust, Kunakel, yeah. Josh Archibald, Josh Archibald, Dominic Simone, like all these players, Oscar Sunkfist, Teddy Bluger, they're all non-first round picks that took some time. Sam Lafferty, who just got traded this week, Daniel Sprong, you go through the whole list, there's a bunch of players that through those early 2010s are still in the NHL. Yeah. Some of them are on different teams, but they all came through Pittsburgh. If this is what you're trying to do and you're identifying certain players, I'm not saying he's going to make it, mm-hmm. but if they feel like this is that style of player that, hey, work with us, get to the NHL or get to the AHL, stay in our system. And the thing I like about the development process, this isn't an AHL guy that you're just, hey, money out, we get something. There is pro development that hasn't happened yet. That you get, you get your hands on the guy. You're going to get your hands on him in the AHL before anyone else. Yeah, That's the bit I really like about this. That if if the track record holds true for what they've done, and they're identifying this style, and we talk about this, that backfill of prospect from that 2019 to 2021 draft yeah. that this organization sorely needs, here's another 
member of that those classes that they've identified. The maybe the only criticism I've seen that I somewhat can understand where it's coming from, though I dismiss it as actual criticism, is the Canucks traded for a winger again, and they've had a wing, wingers. Here's where I think you're point. asking for too much of that. Stage. Yeah, and well, yeah. I mean, here's a guy that. Literally, you got you got the money off your books, and you got a contract off your books for next year. You for this season, you're getting flexibility. It makes complete sense. You got something back, but the Canucks don't even have bottom six wing type prospects coming. Mm-hmm. You know, like right now, Ratu is hopefully going to be a center, but he might end up on the wing. But hope to be maybe a top six guy, maybe a third line guy. Right, Arshdeep Baines could be a checking forward. That's pretty much it, Vic. That's it. Right? I mean, Lakira Mackey, skilled guy if he makes it, right? Klimovich, if he makes it, skilled guy. Aiden McDonough, let's see if he signs. But if he signs, maybe, you know, bottom six, maybe some skill. Lucas Forcell, skilled player if he makes it, right? Lockhart, Coons, Malone, Plastic, ain't, they're nothing. Bloom is already like your fifth or sixth best wing prospect in your organization. They have nothing coming. You know, so when we're talking about filling a winger position, I get it because you have Bavillier and all these guys. We're talking about three or four years down the road. Mm-hmm. They got nobody coming. He still fits a need for a bottom six option because right now, who are you calling up if you need a bottom, bottom six player? PDG, a guy who's 26 years old and is a 27 years old, a journeyman, quad A player. That's your best recall option for bottom six help right now. Who are you developing? It still fits. And maybe it doesn't turn out to be something. But the Canucks still need bottom six depth guys who are prospects. They don't even have those guys in their system. It's such a thin system, Vic. Yeah. And you can start to see the very thin edges of that overall roster construction and prospect diversity. Now, ultimately, I would still, you know, try to get all the upside guys you can. And they've done so kind of with the Kravstov. Right? Like, there's the high-end version of taking some chances and some trades, but you can see the overall team building structure with some different styles of players now. Mm -hmm. Will some of these guys hit? TBD, of course. It's tough to gauge what the next three years will look like for 19, 20-year-olds. It can always change positively or negatively so fast. But at least they are going about this and using the right capital to address certain needs. I don't think we're going to get a craft stuff type for a Riley Stillman. No. But at least this is starting to address or overall organizational needs. Yeah. I, you need a lot, man. This team needs high-end prospects in a bad way, but that doesn't mean they don't need other prospects as well. There's a lot of work this organization needs to do. Uh, this text, to give up a second-round pick for a third-round pick, well... Yeah, Plus I mean, getting rid of the Jason Dickinson money. So, so I would I would say this. Just because Bloom was a third-round pick doesn't mean his his asset value is a third-round pick right now. It might be lower. Like I'd say it's actually lower than that. But what the Canucks ended up doing was trading away a player who was going to make 2.65 on the cap next season as well. So they got all that money off the books for for to trade plus, a second-round pick to get Bloom. Plus this year's money. Yeah, well, this year's money to some degree because they kept Stillman mm-hmm. on it. But they actually saved cash. Saved cap this year, and they're saving cap next season, and they got a prospect for trading a second-round pick. It, it came with a cost, but now that the Stillman trade is done, at least you're coming away with a long-term asset potentially in, in exchange for trading that second away, which makes it a bit more palatable, even though it was hard to take. For sure. Right. Uh, 650, 650. Uh, this one, unsigned. Uh, Hoaglander will be the third liner, a.k.a. Hanson Light. 
curious uh, if we and and this one also from Marcus and Gibson's over under Canucks trades left before the deadline. I've got it set at one and a half. I'm taking the over now. I'm suddenly very curious if we'll see the over because we set the over under at one and a half. What, two weeks ago? Yeah, and they've already made two trades. And they've already made and one of them isn't even Luke Shen. No, they made I'm kind of curious if they even hit the over resetting the line now and we've already seen two trades. I I, I yeah, I mean, I'd set the line I think 1.5 from for Marcus is is a right one cuz I do think they'll get the Shen one done. They're trying to. I do believe they'll get the Shen one done, but in addition to the Shen one, I think they have another one in them. Cuz hey, the more deals you're getting done, and you still have 4 days to go. The Canucks are very active. The Canucks really want to take on a salary or do the third-party thing if they can and take something back. And I believe they're still looking around to see if they can make some swaps like the Stillman one. Do we have somebody that you're not paying attention to that we can swap out? Can they trade a prospect for another guy? Is Israel Lockwood type they may move out for another craft shop type somewhere? I think all these things are in play for Vancouver. Yeah. Uh, and again, suddenly now, like nothing would really surprise me. Yeah. I'm still... Skeptical, a uh, move like Brock Besser materializes just because of the money aspect of it. But if it happens and they go about it by way of attaching a Hoaglander or a Rathbone involved into the deal, wouldn't surprise me by any means now. Then, and I think that's where I'm kind of I'm at. They've shown some, you know, one thing we always talk about under the Benning regime can you play 3D chess? This Stillman one to end up with Bloom is a little 3D. Uh, machinations with it you know it's a minor thing but like we mentioned the fact that this is something they identified as something they could do if it didn't work out and they actually did it it shows that their process was correct Mm -hmm. on it and that they had a right read on the market on the player which surprised me because because hey as much as i said this is what i was told earlier based on how stillman struggled this year two weeks ago i said i don't even if the even though the canucks thought they could flip him i think he's played so poorly i'm not sure they can but clearly, there's still a market for him, and they moved Riley Stillman to the Sabres. All right, Ian McIntyre joins us on the other side. We'll get to more of your text messages, more of your reaction, player reaction, and we'll break down what else might be coming on the trade deadline for the home of your Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Now more of the Canucks Central Post Game Show, bringing you the most Canucks coverage in BC, only on the official home of the Canucks, Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. I mean, it looks how he, how much work he put in. I mean, he didn't miss a beat. Um, just from afar, I was always a fan. I'm a bigger fan now. You play great. That is Canucks head coach Rick Tockett. Throwing the flowers, giving some love. Canucks win 5-4, beating the Stars in Dallas. And this is the Canucks Central postgame show on Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Satyar Shaw with Bick Nizar. Ian McIntyre is going to join us in about uh, 10, 12 minutes time or so to break this down. And we've had a lot of reaction on the text inbox, 650-650. And, uh, you know, people have been firing off those takes and also getting some good questions in, Bick. And jokes per 60 as well, 650-650. Uh, of course, we've been uh, talking about tanking again today. Would you guys tank your radio show if you knew some up and new up and coming radio person was down the pipeline? Why do you think I keep gassing up Jamie Dodd? <laughs> and I, I tried getting a no sack clause put into my contract. Can't work, man. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's not happening. I'm tanking this show every single day. He does his best. <laughs> uh, this one six fifty six fifty. By the way, listen to Jamie Dodd and Drance on uh, Canucks Talk. Uh, and subscribe to their pod, including this one, Canuck Central. <laughs> uh, where does Bloom rank in our nice and thin prospect pool? 
Okay. Um, let me bring this up. I have a list. Okay. Do does so, Put Colson still count as a prospect, or is he graduating? No. So I'm taking Put Colson and Hoaglander out. Okay. Because they played enough hockey I, games. I think that's fair. You know, I mean, you play over 100 games, then I got to take you out. I think Put Colson's close to 100 games, right? And uh, I know Hoaglander's over 100 games mm-hmm. at this point. So I got to take those guys out in terms of uh, being prospects. So I'd say we'd all agree that Ratu and Lakira Mackey um, are two of their top 10 prospects. Mm hmm. And Elias Pettersson, DPD, the defenseman Elias Pettersson, probably ranks in there as well. Aiden McDonough, the guy who has not yet signed, ranks in there as well. So Suddenly that's four. That's, uh... that's four players. Yeah. I'd say... Uh, Klimovich? Klimovich probably fits in there. That's six. Uh, Philip Johansson, the right-hand defenseman from yeah. Sweden this year. They like him a lot. He fits Rathbone. in there. Rathbone fits in there. Linus Carlson? Mm, just on the outside. Jacob Truscott? Yeah. I mean... I, I probably Ooh, put Seelofs. Seelofs fits in there as well. Yeah. So I'd put Bloom right on the outside of yeah. the top 10, but he's probably top 15. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't be a top 10 prospect for Vancouver right now, but he probably comes in top 15. I can tell you right now that I would put him ahead of, um, say, Jet Wu. Yeah. Um, I don't know. depends on how you view I, Yarmy, I, Yanni Yormore, Dorrington, for instance, Lockhart, Coons, Malone, Plasic, Froked, Slodoyev, Kosmar. So R.C. Baines would be in that group. Maybe Baines ahead of him slightly because he's already yeah. he's playing well. I know they're liking Baines as pro- progress. I wouldn't be surprised if Baines plays games at some point and, and could be a bottom six option, so I'm not sure I'd put him ahead of him. But, yeah, I mean, you're already putting Bloom into a t- into the top 15 of Canucks prospects, which I don't think should be known, should be seen as, as a like, huge coup. It's Again, like I, we just sat and spent 10 minutes talking about how good the trade was. But don't get it twisted. Just because he's a top 15 prospect doesn't mean he's a top 15 prospect. It's just on this team, in this system, he shoots above guys, which goes back to the point we were making. Mm -hmm. Even though he's a winger and even though he's a bottom six type prospect long-term, Canucks don't even have that. You've got to have those guys too. And again, I'll I'll read the list of guys that were in Pittsburgh they wouldn't look at and say, boy, that guy's definitely going to make it to the show and, and be a viable contributor Maybe be on on some other teams as well. Like these are guys that are still in the league now that all went through the process in Wilkes Barre, Scranton. Brian Rust, Josh Archibald, Oscar Sunkfist, Teddy Beluger, Tom Kunakel, uh, Jake Gensel, but that's far more higher end. Um, Sam Lafferty, but all these guys weren't first round picks for them. Mm-hmm. Allow them to get their hands on these guys and see what it takes after. Two, three, four years, whatever. And look, it might not. There's a bunch of names that obviously didn't make it as well for Pittsburgh, but like this is the profile that these guys have had so much success with that you wanted to institute here in Vancouver and that constant Ferris wheel of new forwards and new bodies coming up and having success with. You need bodies to be able to work with them, and that to me is an encouraging sign. If this is someone that they identify that can fit that profile, let's see if you can improve your. Uh, your magic. Yeah, at least somebody else in the fold that, that could maybe be a player for you down the road. Uh, this text here, you want to get this one in? Uh, no, I just want to update everyone on oh, uh, yes, the out-of-town out scoreboard. Please do. Uh, it is now final. The Anaheim Ducks win in regulation to the visiting Chicago Blackhawks 4-2. to two. So the Ducks keep pace with the Canucks. <laughs> yes. From second lottery odds, yeah. they, uh, they had 45, and I think they jump up to 47 points now, obviously. Uh, so they will keep pace with the Canucks that so way. So Canucks six points up. 
on the Anaheim Ducks at this stage. All right, this question here, kind of building on the uh, trade stuff and management stuff. What is your impression of Alvin? I was lukewarm until the Horvat trade, but have been encouraged by that as well as roster management sending pods and hogs to Abby and some of these smaller trades. What is your in- impression of Alvin so far, Beck? I like the ability to endure. Like one thing that they, like they obviously screwed up the Bruce thing. Completely punched on that. There's been some recognition of how of badly they screwed it up. Hey, at the very least, you didn't get ahead of the PR nightmare. Yeah. But as far as like hockey transactions, I've been quite supportive of them. They're clearly trying to thread the needle and bring in some assets, but also do this kind of on the fly because you want to maximize with Pedersen and Demko and Hughes and get them in a spot where you can resign Pedersen and, hey, now we got a team. We're built, starting to build this out. But I'm hard-pressed to see a, a lot of moves that didn't work out. The Stillman yeah. one was the big one, but they've turned that into a positive now. I, 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 Stillman, you turn into a positive. You can look at the trade and say, given where the season went, should you have done that? The one thing to keep in mind, though, was the only way, unless the, the Canucks didn't find a way to trade somebody off the roster they wanted to, they couldn't make a Besser trade or a Garland trade or a Myers trade, right? Or even a Pearson trade. They weren't able to make those trades. And they still wanted to get Mikheyev, Kuzmenko done. They really wanted to get those guys into the roster this year. So they made those deals knowing that they would have to find a way to move money. And it would maybe cost them. And they felt like it was worth trading a second for them to make those moves and go out and get Ethan Bear. It didn't work out in terms of team having success. But at least they were able to turn Stillman into another prospect there. But you can look at it and say, given the plan... Did it make sense to even trade the second, given where this season ended up going? I think that's a fair criticism in terms of looking at it. But what I like, Bick, is more of the player value, uh, player identification. Mm-hmm. Every player they've added so far who have been significant, for the most part, have worked out to a positive degree. The ones who haven't so far, Curtis Lazar, I'd say, hasn't been the player you had hoped. Now, one million, you know, uh, right hand and sentiment hasn't quite worked out the way you want it. I think Studnika, we're waiting to see what he becomes. But I can see what they're trying to do with Ethan Bear, player type. I see what they've been trying to do with the Bull Horvat trade. You see what they're doing here with the Stillman trade. I like the McCabe identification. The Kuzmenko identification clearly has been a victory. I like the pro valuations and evaluations they're making on actual players. Pavillier, again, identifying a player mm-hmm. that makes sense and fits in, and, and you're seeing some tangible benefits from. I like how they're identifying talent and. My impression is over, is generally more positive than, than most people have been in this market in, in terms of how management's handled things. And, and the point I was wanted to make about the ability to endure, they've taken a lot of short-term negativity. Some of it invited upon themselves, like the Bruce Boudreau situation, yeah. but having the backbone to come up with unpopular decisions that they said that they were going to do all along, like a Horvat trade, and then playing it out as long as you did, and... Of all the trades that have happened so far, deadline deals, the yeah. big deals, has anybody gotten a better overall high-end value than Vancouver? No. I, I would I, I would even argue total value. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with that. But I'm saying, like, at the very least, nobody got a better pick. Mm-hmm. And you can easily make the case that Ratu was the best prospect traded. Mukmandulan, depends on how you view him. Some are down on him. I, I think him and, him and Ratu are similar in the sense of there's some mixed feelings on the players, but they're viewed as good prospects. Mm-hmm. But I'd say he's the only prospect that would kind of 
be on the same par in terms of valuation for Ratu. And people here don't even think Ratu is that talented. But look at the other prospects traded. No good prospects were traded. None. And and that's the thing. It's like when you have your plan, the thing I've really liked is they haven't skewed off of their plan. Yeah. Despite some of the overall negativity from it. Some of the draft picks, hey, look, we'll see how some of their, their first draft class pans out. And what they do, obviously, this upcoming summer. But by and large, I like the idea that they have not failed their plan so far. You might not like the plan, and some people said, hey, trade JT Miller, do this, because Manko should have gone, all this sort of stuff. That's not part of their plan. Mm-hmm. It never was. So I'm judging them upon what they're trying to do, not what I think that they should do. And upon what they're trying to do, I can understand a lot of the moves, and they're having some success with those as well. And the identification is a big part of it. Yeah, we saw a lot of uh, pro players be misidentified here over the years, and you're seeing an improvement at least and, so far. And paid yeah. a high cost at them. That was the thing that was always so yes bewildering. High cost, not, not just in free agency, but also in trades. Like, So of all these guys are taking flyers on, the highest pick they've traded was a third, which was for Travis Dermott. Who's an everyday NHL player? Mm-hmm. Like he's going to be an everyday NHL defenseman, and, and that's more bad luck because he's been injured. Yeah, like you know this year, but he's a guy who's going to play. Maybe more of a you know third pair guy, but a guy who's going to play. And that's the highest pick they've traded to get a player, get, to get a prospect back in return or a young player back in return. Studnika was Myrenberg, a decent prospect for the Canucks pool, a thin pool, a fifth round pick to acquire Ethan Bear, and a seventh round pick to acquire Kraftsov. It's the right price to give out to acquire those types of players to see if they can do something for you. When you're trading away your top prospects, when you're trading away, you know, second round picks for reclamation projects, that's how you get yourself into trouble. It, it makes bad situations worse real fast. Yeah. Real fast. And well, I mean, you know, they, so, you know, Tyler says Miller is a major outlier to their plan. I don't think it is because I think their plan always was. And this is what we mentioned last year. They weren't going to keep Miller and Horvat. They were going to choose one. Their plan always was we're choosing one. And they chose the guy they felt was a better player, and they traded the guy they thought had the more trade value. That's how they felt. You can say mm-hmm. that was wrong, but their plan was always to keep one of those guys. And they were going to keep the guy that they thought was the better player unless they could get better value for the other guy. Sure. And they had a price which wasn't met. No. Because they probably wanted the, the price that they thought they could get for Horvat or plus. Yes. And we obviously know how this all played out. The Miller price was never met. The Horvat price was, and they pivoted and were able to sign JT to a contract. And again, it's a major outlier to their plan. If you think their plan is long-term rebuild, if you think their plan is we want to get this sorted out by 2025, then the JT Miller contract makes a ton of sense. And I also don't think you sign a guy. Like, what was the thing Rutherford always said? If you're signing a guy to a long-term deal that's going to his 30s, you have to weigh the front part of the years versus the back, back part of the years. years. Yes. So why would you want the back part of the years to be the least productive part of your competitive years? The front part of that contract is when they want to be competitive. Not the back part of the contract. So if they're trying to get this all set up for 2025, when the new Pedersen contract kicks in, when if and when they get them signed, that's kind of what they're trying to do. So it's how do you start accumulating all these pieces to get ready for 2025. So one thing that I'm I'm trying to get a sense of is, you know how we look at next year and we say it's a bit of a punt year? 
Oh, I thought this year was the punt year. This year is a punt year. Wait, next year? I, next year is more of a free roll. You know, it's a more of a free roll. Yes, and I, and I actually think, I think organizationally there is some quiet confidence that if they can make the moves that they want to, even though we may look at it and say, man, they're rebuilding finally, that they feel like they can put a better team together next season than the one they have this year, which you may not think on paper because of the subtractions they may make and the type of players they may bring in, but they may feel like we have a team finally. By like, they find another centerman and they have role players coming in to fulfill roles. And you can look at it and say, well, last year's Canuck teams had more talent in their forward ranks. But if you have a third line that can play third line hockey, you have a fourth line that can do fourth line things, and now you've, you have your top six built with the types of players you want, you find another defenseman, they'll be more competitive. Like, I think organizationally, they're not necessarily viewing it as we're going to take a huge step back next season. I think they're open to taking stuff on for next year and using it for their advantage. But I think there's a sense that if they can make the moves they want to, that the turnaround's not going to take as long as people think. Now, are they going to be successful in doing that, Bick? Mm-hmm. That's going to be the question. But I do think there's confidence or there's belief that the turnaround is not going to take necessarily that long. Try to check some boxes here. Do they have a number one goalie? Yes. Do they have a number one D-man? Yes. Do they have a number one center? Yes. Do they have multiple top six wingers? Yes. And I'm going to put JT Miller in that category rather than second line center. You know what I would say? I'll put, I, I, what I would do, I think we have to put a designation for JT I think you do the versatile forward. He should be a versatile forward, right? Like a again, we we said center it. Wing. Can play center, better winger. Like I legitimately think he could be a top twenty winger in this league. Oh yeah, I think so too. So you have Kuzmenko producing Miller. I'm going to throw in that group versatile forward, however you want to say it. McKayev to me, top six forward. Your hope is put Coles in hits, and I still believe that that's a real player. Yeah. Beauvillier kind of hitting, but middle six winger. They need more D-men. It's, it's without question, they need more D-men. But that's going to be the thing. Do you use Besser to try to find that? Do you use Garland to try to start addressing that? And they have had success in previous stops, Carolina with Rutherford, Pittsburgh with the pair of them, that they've been able to identify and correctly evaluate value D-men to give them more. Yeah, well... And that's going to be another part of it. Now, we'll keep breaking this stuff down. It is time, however, to bring in the star of our show, the man we call the triple threat. We call him the closer. You read him on digital. You watch him on TV and you hear him on radio. He is Ian McIntyre. Who are you guys talking about? Not me, I mean. (laughs) I know who who the the triple threat is, but... uh, who are you talking about? We talk about while well, I was on hold there, Patrick Alvine and Pat- Jim Rutherford. We're talking about Rutherford and Alvine and some of the moves oh. they've made. And uh, okay, where I thought you were speaking yourself. specifically of a deal that they had just made or what they were trying to do. Oh, another so. trade? No, no, no other trade. Maybe Actually, I you didn't catch something. us in trade talk today. You didn't know. Uh, you know what? Well, if you would have can. You know why? Because there were there was an actual trade today, so you didn't have to oh. speculate. You could just talk about the real trade. Tell us everything you know about Josh Bloom. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> I know he's not making $1.35 million next year while playing, you know, at the bottom of the lineup. So I think, uh, in fact, I've just filed my story. That's probably the quietest trade that uh, Alvin has made of the six that he's now made since September. But it might end up being the most lopsided because I don't see 
how they do anything worse than a tie on that deal because just getting that salary off off their plate for next season is is a win. You know, it's like when the, when they traded Travis Hamannick last year and you know they ended up getting a pick that they gave for Travis Dermott and that right now doesn't look good mostly because Dermott has been so injured. But just getting rid of that salary was a win. I know 1.35 million is is a little bit less, uh, quite a bit less than what Hamnick was making, but that's a win to get that off your books for next season. And you know, I don't uh, I don't wish uh, have any ill will towards Riley Stillman. I think it was going to be hard for any defenseman coming in this year to play uh, in this mess. You know, for a 31st. Uh, de- ranked team defensively with the lack of goaltending, the lack of structure before the coaching change. It would be hard for anyone. And maybe maybe he can still uh, become an NHL regular. Uh, but uh, I think we get a sense that even if that's the case, there's a pretty low ceiling on what he might become. Right now, who knows what the ceiling is on Josh Bloom? Maybe he ends up playing and becoming a good NHL, or maybe he never plays a game. Yeah. And and often, third-rounders never play a game. But e- even if that's the case, even if Bloom is bust, <laughs> I like that myself, yeah, kind of, if Bloom is bust, uh, it's still, it, to me, it's still a win just to get rid of the contract. Well, I think it is. I mean, and we were talking about this, too. I mean, as much as he's a winger and maybe projects to be a bottom six prospect if he does pan out, Canucks don't even have those guys in their system. Like they, you go through their system, they barely have guys that you project as being bottom six contributors in a few years. So they need every bit of help they can get in their prospect pool. But before we get to the game here, and I don't know how they found a way to win this one, but they did. Let's just wrap up the trade stuff. We know the Shen stuff's kind of hanging out there. And they'll probably get that done. Given how active they have been, they made two trades in the last couple of days. Should we anticipate something more in addition to the Luke Shen trade? Are you suggesting that JT Miller might be traded? No, I'm not suggesting <laughs> JT. I think JT, if anything, now we probably don't expect that. But yeah. in addition to that. Yeah, well, I think they're trying. For sure, yeah. they're trying. I mean, we know they've been trying on Brock Besser for at least three months. And probably periodically going back to last summer and and maybe even at points last season but certainly back to the summer um, but I don't I don't think they're going to be able to move that that salary and I think I think there'd be a lot of teams interested if the Canucks were willing to eat half of it but you know it kind of defeats the purpose and everything that Rutherford and Alvin have said about creating cap flexibility if you're if you're still if you've still got dead money and you know, maybe they end up deciding that that having 3 million of dead money is, is better than having to, to pay Besser six. I don't think that's going to be the case though, but yeah, I, I think it's possible, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't predict it. Uh, I would, you know, if I'm predicting, I think they might make another deal or two uh, besides Shen, but I, you know, I don't think it's going to be a, I don't get the sense it's going to be a blockbuster. I don't get a sense it's going to be, Anyone that uh, once was regarded as a core piece going the other way. As far as the game tonight, uh, boy, it's uh, nice having a, a strong goalie in net. Uh, <laughs> what a return for uh, yeah. Thatcher Demko. How much of this do you chalk up to adrenaline, or how much do you chalk up to, oh, boy, he's healthy again? 
I think I don't think much of it was adrenaline. I think goalies they just operate differently. They have a different adrenal level than <laughs> than skaters. Um, uh, I think I think a lot of it a lot of it is Demko. Some of it was luck, you know, but a, most of it was was Demko. And what I thought was was really impressive is that to my untrained eye. Uh, he seemed to be tracking the puck really well. Like how often did have we seen this year with other goalies that they've had, uh, as soon as there's a lateral pass and a one-timer, you just kind of know it's in. Even, even before the puck is in the net, you think, yeah, they're going to score on that. And I thought Demko was, was reading and anticipating pretty well and certainly getting across his net and playing, you know, with composure. I think there was still a lot of raggedness to his game, which is what you would expect uh, for being off for three months. But he made a lot of big saves, and and he made some difficult ones. And uh, I think it just does him a world of good mentally. First of all, just get through the game w- without without injury, which he appears to have done. And you know, had that one sequence. I think it was in the second period where he stretched as far as he could one way to his to his right to stop a wraparound, and then stretched with his left as far as he could the other way to to stop the follow up chance at the other post. And if he can do that after a serious groin injury, that, that's a very good sign. So it's good that he survived it, but I think it's also great for him mentally to have success because as we have talked about. It's not only about getting him healthy, it's about getting him back. Getting him back to the guy that he was last season. Not the guy he was at the start of this season, who was struggling along with the team in front of him. But back to being an elite franchise caliber goalie. And he certainly looked like that tonight. Well, it certainly did. Uh, as far as how the Canucks found a way to score goals, maybe we shouldn't be surprised, uh, Ian, that they score goals, even if they don't create chances. Kuzmenko does his thing. Bavillier now has 11 points in 11 games, six goals. He's outproducing Bull Horvat since the trade. I, 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 don't, I don't even know what, what else to say. I mean, it seems like this team doesn't need a lot of scoring chances, Ian, to put goals by goaltenders. Yeah, and, and I don't know, I mean, Jake Ottinger has, in a very short period of time, become one of the top 10 goalies in the league. He's probably not in the top five yet, but he's, you know, he's lurking in that 10 or 12, top 10 or 12. Um, maybe he just had a bad night. I, I don't know him well enough to know. I, I know he wouldn't be happy with his night. No goalie is. You give up five and 21 shots. Maybe he just had a bad night, but the... I think you're right, Sat, that, and especially with certain players, you don't, you know, Kizmenko doesn't need a lot of chances to to score, and and Pedersen, and you know, Beauvillier, he's just he's kind of hot right now. That's what he looks like to me. Like he's he's just on a a bit of a roll. I know it's not an overwhelming number of points that he's got, but you know, the first one it comes off the goalie and it's like a half volley into the top corner. And and even, you know, the second one, it was a great play by Quinn Hughes, um, who I'd like to talk about as well, because that was a monster game by him. But uh, it, it was a great play by Hughes, but the puck still didn't come cleanly to Bavillier, and it was sort of bobbling, and he still, you know, lashed at it and, and roofed it behind Ottinger. So uh, I, I think, I, I think you know, they do... 
it, it hasn't been a problem for them all year. Yeah, sure, there's a game. Saturday, they only scored one against Boston. You know, whatever. Scoring is not the problem. We know that. It's, it's you know, the defending and the goals against. And they gave up, you know, way too many chances tonight. They had a terrific first, you know, 8 to 12 minutes. Uh, the Ben breakaway goal wasn't a great one uh, for Demko, but it was also a guy coming in at full speed in Demko's first game back in three months. And I, I don't care. And I think Demko would say this as well. I don't care how much practicing you do against your teammates. You, you There's no game-like situation for that. And, and certainly when there's traffic and swirling bodies and intensity in front of the net as well, there's no practice uh, replication for that. But, you know, even though the Canucks were, were, were badly out, played they you know found a way to get five goals and and you know that's kind of been their mo but uh you know they need to they need to be a lot better defensively than what they than what they were and and this really you know they've had the those two stinker games uh the canucks since talk took over but uh you know this is a little bit of an outlier for how they have played recently you know, last week on the road and and the Saturday game, so we'll see how see how they do when they come back home and 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 play this week. But they need to be a lot tidier defensively. You can tell we're hitting our stride on the post game show late in the season because I wanted to ask you about Quinn Hughes, and here you are wanting to talk about Quinn Hughes. Yeah, uh, it was the variety in which the assists uh, were accumulated tonight. It wasn't just hang out on the power play and slide it to JT or PD, and there's your assist. It was fire the puck up to Raw two, get an assist on that one, recognizing play. It was getting it to Bavillier, dancing away from uh, Ty DeLandria to create that one. And then the third one, engineering a turnover in your own zone from Tyler Sagan and then having to work the puck around for a bit, but you ultimately get your assist that way. Uh, again, as you said, monster night from Quinn Hughes. Yeah, but you know what, Bic? Just like uh, we're making the point with the team that no matter what, more or less they're going to be able to score goals. So it's mm-hmm. about it's about how they defend. I think Quinn Hughes is so talented, and and I don't I don't say this you know flippantly. He's so talented, so gifted, uh, with the way he's able to move the puck and, and skate forward. Uh, I, I think he's always going to get points, no matter what. Uh, I think what is is making him truly an elite defenseman right now uh, is how much he is digging in defensively as as well and he's still making obviously the great plays and it and looks like he has a ton of confidence with the puck still you know doing terrific things offensively but i think his his intensity level has come up a lot and maybe it's harder to see than in some other players because no matter how intense he is you're not going to see him at at five foot ten throwing himself into forwards in the corner physically but i think there's a lot more intensity uh, when he is battling for a puck, I think there's a lot more directness when he's getting trying to get to a puck first and not let somebody else have it. And I think he's stronger on his stick, on the puck, in his de- defensive zone right now. Like What I marvel about with Hughes tonight is not that he had three points. Again, because he's a world-class, gifted offensive player. I marvel that while he was on the ice at even strength, 
the Canucks outshot Dallas 10 to 6, which means, you know, in a game where they were outshot, what was it, 38 to 21, it was 10 to 6 for the Canucks when Hughes was on the ice, and they outscored the Stars 4 0, 4 0 when Hughes was on the ice. This guy's now, and I know plus minus, none of us like it, but it, it's still a, a measure. And, and uh, as I've noted before, you know, when you talk to players, this is still maybe the measure for a lot of them defensively, plus minus. Hughes is now plus 12 on a team that's 27th in the league and has been outscored by 36 goals this season. And considering how often he is on the ice, and he only, with air quotes, played 26 minutes and changed tonight instead of 30. If they'd gone to if they'd gone to a shootout, he'd have had four more minutes, so he'd have gotten to 30 anyways. But uh, for him to do that on a team that's been this bad defensively, while while getting a point a game, uh, you know, he's going to blow up the records that he just set last year. Um, uh, I think it's remarkable. He's at another level right now. As you say about the plus twelve too, and I know minus twenty four was a big deal for him. Like that's this is half, or uh, he's he's now two points away from clearing out that minus twenty four. That was such a sore spot for him as well. So uh, as soon as he gets to plus fourteen, uh, he'll have wiped that away. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, keep in mind he's on for the empty net goals against as well. Mm-hmm. Mind you, he's been on uh, for a lot of the the uh, six on five goals as well. So. Yeah, I mean... Good for him. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Ian, great stuff as always. I look forward to reading your latest on sportsnet.ca and see you at the rink on Thursday when the Canucks take on the Minnesota Wild. I'll even be there before that. I'll probably be there to practice on Wednesday. Well, there you go. So check out practice. And we'll all, we'll all be there on Friday, won't we? Yeah, most of us. Um... Where are you going to be broadcasting from? Are you just going live? Are you... No. When, I think we're in the studio. We're in the studio. We're, we're on from, I think, 3 till 6 on Friday? I'm one to three, so there you go. So I think we'll be at the studio. Okay. We'll see. So, Bick, you'll be getting probably GM avail. Oh, maybe yeah. Even, I wouldn't even have to work. That's great. Maybe even trades coming down late. Yeah. Although typically they don't come down an hour late. Sometimes they come down 20 minutes late, half an hour late. That'd be a, that'd be a, a big queue at Central Registry for it to be an hour late, but... I think we're going to have some action. Yeah, I think so too. It'll be fun. At least uh, we'll see some some minor moves potentially, and we'll see where Luke Shen ends up. But great stuff as always, Ian. Appreciate your time. Good night, fellas. Uh, Good night. That's Ian McIntyre. Thanks to all of you listening to the show. Appreciate uh, being interactive and having a good time with us this evening. Bick, what's happening on the People Show tomorrow? Yannick Hansen's on? At 3.30 tomorrow. A bit of a change-up. But 3.30, Yannick Hansen will join us. All right. I'm Satyar Shah. Back at it with Dan Riccio tomorrow on Canuck Central. And special thanks to Ben Bass for producing the show. And thank you all for listening and being part of the show. This has been Canuck Central postgame show. 5-4 win over the stars for the Canucks on the home of your Canucks. Sportsnet 650 and the Sportsnet Radio Network.